0: You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024.
1: Marjorie, thank you for playing this morning, for your diligence to be faithful to God in the songs that you pick and the songs that you practice. Thank you, Marjorie, for what you do. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 11. Try to get it together here. Acts chapter 11, man. Um, last week we saw in Acts chapter 10 how the gospel reaches the ears of those who are outside of the Jewish uh, lineage out of the Jewish family. Gentiles are now. Ha- we have record of Gentiles now being saved, and and there was a moment where they had to do some self examination because they were very cl- unclear. They're a little foggy on the idea that that Gentiles could be saved because they were under the impression that well. It's only Jews that have the ability to be saved. It's only uh, it's only those that are in the Jewish lineage that can be saved. And so they had to have some self reflection and to, some prayer and some meetings, and they had to try to figure this out that um, Gentiles can be saved. And that's and, and so Peter in chapter eleven we see Peter unpack this before the church, and we'll start there. We'll start in verse one, and, and we'll read a little bit here. We got we got some reading to do, but I think it's. Important to read this because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we're going to start in chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. So this, the circumcision party was a group that, yes, I believe that you're saved by grace through faith, but not alone. You also have to be circumcised. So there was a circumcision party that said you've got to be circumcised. And so they're not exactly fans of the idea that Gentiles are getting in. So uh, they begin to criticize him. Saying, "Well, you went to the uncircumcised. Uncircumcised or dirty pagans. When they say, when well, anytime you see the word uncircumcised, that is the word or the idea of dirty pagan, lost degenerates." I
0: need
1: a, work for me. I'm drip all over the place if I'm not careful. So this idea is that these you went to. Eat with sinful, uncircumcised people. Ah, oh, I can't believe it. You would go eat with sinners. Who else was? Who else got told he's eating with sinners? Who else? Oh, well, that's Jesus. But Peter in verse four begins to explain to them in order. And what did he explain? He unpacks all of what happened in chapter nine. I. Went into the, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and I was in a trance, and I saw in a vision something like a great sheet descending, like, descending down from heaven by the four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it clearly, I observed animals, beasts prey of prey, reptiles, birds of the air, and I heard a voice say, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever come into my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, when God, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three separate times. Remember why it happened three? Because three is the level of superlative, the ultimate level of understanding and and instruction. This is what you need to pay attention to. The voice answered a third time, and then the sheet was drawn up into heaven. Verse 11 and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent, or they were sent to me in Cesar, from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Now why? Because they're Gentiles and it was against the law. It was unfavorable that Jews and Gentiles mixed. It just wasn't okay because they didn't. they were the set-apart children of God. They weren't to be associating with things of the world. And so... He made no distinction. These six brothers—he's talking about the, the brothers—and these six brothers, they, they accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and we and he told us how he had seen an angel stand before him and say, "Send for Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter," and we de- and we declared to you the message by which you will be saved and your household. So the gospel, verse fifteen. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord who said, John baptize you with water, but you will baptize them with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, who was I, who was I that I should stand in God's way? Ooh, come on now. So Peter says, who am I to stand in God's way? God can do what he wants. God can redeem, receive, and reconcile all anybody that he wants. He can do whatever he wants. And, and then we see in verse 18, at the end of this report, God gives glory, or God has given glory to what's happened. Verse 18, when all of them, this is even the circumcised brothers, when all had heard these things, they fell silent. It wasn't a debate. There wasn't an argument. They all shut their mouths. They all fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The, like, this is like, I, as I read this this morning, I was reading over the text this morning and it just overwhelmed me as I read this that, that, that God sees fit to grant any of us repentance is mind blowing. That God sees anything, that the ability to give us redemption, that he sees fit to give us and grant us the gift of salvation, is absolutely mind-blowing that he would do this. It's jaw-dropping that he would do this, and I just, I was overcome this morning as I read that thinking, this is just, then the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life everlasting. Oh, this is good. Charles Spurgeon once said, The glory of salvation of souls belongs to God and to him alone. That's the whole reason that Gentiles and Jews are being saved. So that God gets the glory. The, the glory of salvation isn't, Oh man, Caleb, amazing. I can't believe you got, Man, that's so incredible that you preached and that happened. No, it's, the, it's not Caleb gets glory. It's that Christ receives the glory. The glory of salvation of souls belongs to God and to Him alone. This is such good news for humanity, amen? Like, it's good news for you and I. God is doing a work in all people, all groups, all nations, all tongues. Why? To bring glory to His name. To bring glory to His name by saving and reconciling people back to Himself, just simply from the fact of He wants that to be done oh man so the next thing we see in the text um, is that the church is scattered due to persecution we see in verses 19 through 21 um, that the church is being scattered through, uh, throughout the world due to persecution It starts with remember it started with Stephen remember back a few chapters back in Acts where Stephen stoned to death these men are being scattered all throughout the world and and Many are being added to the church. People are being saved. And what the devil intended for evil, God flips it on its head and uses it for the good of believers. The devil, listen, the devil is going to do his dead level best to try to hurt, harm, and destroy the people of God. But I'm going to promise you that God is in the business of doing things that are going to astonish the world and just devastate the devil. Amen? Anybody excited about that? I sure am. He flips the script on this thing and changes everything. Verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of persecution that arose over Stephen traveled far as Phoenicia uh, and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking The word to no one except the Jews. So listen, they're still just these guys are still preaching to Jews because the word hasn't reached them. Hey, God's bringing the rest of the folks in too. So they're only preaching to Jews in this text. But verse twenty, remember what Zach said at the Bible conference? Isn't isn't it beautiful? The buts in the Bible. But there are some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. This is the Greek-speaking Jews. Also preaching the Lord Jesus Christ and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So now we've got the Greek speaking folks who are now coming into the fold. So we've got Gentiles, Jews, and now the Greeks all coming into salvation. And then in verse 26, we see a new name is given to those that are following the way. Remember all through Acts, that so we've heard them... The the way, the way, the way, those who follow the way, those who follow the way. Verse 26 now gives us a new title for these people who are following Christ. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. and And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So Christians, or Christ followers, and the spread of the message of the gospel continues even to this day in 2022. And we see, we're see we seeing men and women come to know who Jesus is and the repentance of sin and following Christ. And it's just absolutely stunning to see what God is doing. Then in verse 27 through 30, we see the coming, there's a, a world famine that comes on the stage in verse 27. Now, in these days, prophets, a prophet came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named uh, Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that the world would have a great famine over all the world. This would take place in the days of Claudius. And the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So what does the church do famine comes crisis comes man what is, one of the first groups when crisis happens is um, in a lot of places is Southern Baptists send a, a relief team to get in they, they get a truck together and they feed they clothe they give baby formula diapers they go in and they clean up if an ice storm happens they go in and they get they cut down It's just this massive relief group that comes in man Christians are constantly on the front lines of disaster coming in and bringing relief coming and helping those that are sick those that are Destitute, those are displaced. Christians constantly come in and bring relief to those who need it. So we see this in chapter 11, just the, the expansion of the church. Great things are taking place. People are being saved, even in the midst of these, this little bit of persecution that happens. We get the, the church is growing. Now, that leads us to chapter 12. That's a quick overview of chapter 11. Now we get to chapter 12. Chapter twelve, they're going to ramp up some persecution. Herod, who is not exactly the nicest guy, um, he is going to begin just a massive assault on Christians. Um, and when and here's the thing: when things are going well for the church, we sit, we tend to sometimes take a lot of that stuff for granted. Amen. Like we we get we get comfortable, and things get going very easily for the church we tend to think, take that for, for granted but all of a sudden Herod breaks into the picture he kills James this is one of the disciples he kills James and when, it, when he saw that killing James made the Jews happy he did what all politicians do he did what the people wanted what, well not what the people wanted necessarily but they had that but what would get him poll numbers better oh they like that they like that Let's look at this in chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then when he had seized him and put him into prison and delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending for the Passover to be to bring up. I'm sorry. Intending for the Passover to bring him out after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church. So this is just stunning to see what's happening here. When Christians stand up for the gospel, the world is not going to like it. The enemy doesn't like it when you and I stand up for the truth of the gospel. The enemy of the world, Satan, who is going, he's going to do everything in his power to cause strife, turmoil, and displacement for those who put their trust and faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to see this. What happens next in the text is absolutely jaw-dropping and absolutely stunning to see what God does in the midst of all of this. Now, what's verse 5 say? Verse 5 says, so Peter, remember, John's, or James is dead. Got killed by the sword and they're arresting Peter. Put him in jail and the intention was, look at it, right before verse 5, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So what by default is going to happen to Peter if this plays out the way it's supposed to? Peter's going to get killed too. Peter's going down because James got killed and the whole crowd erupts with excitement because James dies. He said, well, that's great. I'm going to arrest Peter. We'll put him away until once the feast of this religious feast is over, Passover, we'll, we'll wait for this to be over with. And then when it's done, we'll bring Peter out and I'm going to kill him too. But what happens? So Peter's kept in prison, but, once again, here's another but, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church. Earnest, earnest pleading prayer was made for Peter. Prayer was made for Peter. Prayer that was earth-shaking prayer. Prayer that was prayed in such a way that they understood that they had nothing else, no other leverage, no other opportunities, no other plans, no other resources other than God, We, if, we, if you don't do a work, Peter's not getting out. God, if you don't do something mighty here, Peter is going to die. We have no other resources. And man, oh man, When trials and adversities come in the lives of believers, prayer should be the first thing that we go to. Not the last-ditch effort after trying everything else and failing. Christ should be number one, first, and glorified most in the lives of believers. Amen? Like, that's what should be. But here's the thing. We live in modern-day 2022 America we live in a world where we have tons of options we've got tons of resources we've got tons of stuff that we can pull from to try to pull anybody like listen if i if if me and ronnie were arrested tonight for preaching the gospel if we got ronnie and i were arrested and put in jail for preaching the gospel you know what we do we'd be like all right listen here we go um I know some lawyers that we could get. I've got some resources. I know a couple judges. I'm going to call some politicians. We, we'd all start pooling our resources. Look, but listen, I don't want to dog on resources because resources are given to us by God. I'm thankful for the resources that we have. But hear me, the church didn't have all that. They weren't going, you know what, I know a judge. I, I, you know, I got some poll with Herod. They weren't doing that. Amen? The the church didn't have that access. The church didn't have that resource. The only thing they had was the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, that's the only thing we need. That's the only thing we need is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Period. And so what happens here in this text is they pray earnestly for Peter in this moment, the earnest prayer is made by the church. Now, let's see what happens when the church does what the church is supposed to do. They pray expectantly. Now listen, they're praying earnestly, to asking God to do something amazing here. I, I believe God can do something amazing. That's what they're praying for. Let's say They pressed on the one resource that they had, prayer. Let's look at verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Pete, now listen, here's the deal. Let me just ask you a question. If you knew what was coming, like Peter's smart. Peter's not dumb. Peter knew, listen, I'm probably going to die here. I'm probably going to die here because James just got killed, so I'm probably next. I don't know about you. If I'm laying in prison knowing that my fate, I'm fixing to die. I don't know how I'm going to die, but I know that I'm probably going to die. I'm not exactly going to be sleeping very easily in prison. I'm not going to be just like, you know what? Alright. But this is, this is just proof that Peter trusted the Lord. Peter believed God. Because remember, Peter was told, Peter, when you're old, they're going to lead you around. And you're going to go places you don't want to go because you're old and they're going to pull you around. You're going to be blind. Remember that? So Peter remembers this. So, that night... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Not exactly the most comfortable place to be. Anybody been camping? Get close to this? It's not exactly the nicest You go camping with a bunch of good fellas. It's not exactly the, you know, it's one thing to sleep next to my girl. It's another thing if I gotta cuddle up the chancy. I'm I'm just gonna tell you, I'm not sleeping well. Amen? Like I just I'm just not. So he's in between two soldiers. Not only is he in between two soldiers, he's bound with chains. And there's centuries set before the door that were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. And he struck. He hits Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. Come on, brother, wake up. And the chains immediately fell off of his hands. And the angel said, Man, get dressed. Like he's not even got his clothes on. Get dressed, put on your sandals, and he and so he did. And he said to him, Wrap this cloak around you and follow me. And he went out following him, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought that this was a vision. He thought he was having a dream. I'm just dreaming this whole thing. And this dream was real feeling, but he's yeah, I just remember he's already had a bunch of visions he's on top he's vision he's all these visions he's thinking he's having a dream and when they had passed the first and the second guard they came to the iron gate leading to the city into the city it opened for them on its own accord and they went out and went along the street and immediately the angel left him and when peter came to himself whoa what peter came to himself what He said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent an angel to rescue me from the hands of Herod and from all the Jewish people and what they were expecting. And when Peter, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. And there were many who were there gathered together and they were what? What? They were praying, remember? in the first part of this in chapter, or verse 5, they were earnestly praying for the release of Peter. They're praying hard for Peter to be released. And when he stood at the door and knocked at the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda comes and answers, recognizing as Peter's voice, in her joy, she didn't open the door. <laughs> she's so excited, she's like, oh, it's Peter! <coughs> Leaving him out, to, I'm still out here, girl. Standing outside, he he leaves, he's left outside, she's so excited, she rushes into the room where they're having a prayer meeting, asking God to save Peter, think about that, think about this, they open the gate, or I'm sorry, and they said, she comes in and tells them, listen, Peter's at the gate, Peter's at the gate, and verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind, little girl. You're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying to her, it's his angel. Which means, hey, listen, that brother's dead. They were praying for his earnest release, but they didn't even actually believe their own prayer. How do we know? Because they're all going, nah, he's dead already. But hey, we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep praying. So they keep praying. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened it and saw him, they were amazed. Sometimes God answers your prayers. And how many of you have been amazed that God actually answered your prayer? You're like, whoa, he did? What? He answered my prayer? Are you kidding me? Of course. They were asking in faith earnestly that God do something. And guess what? They It happened. It happened, but they didn't. They were they were struggling to even believe. They were amazed. But mentioning to them with his hands being silent, I'm sorry, but motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, "Tell these things to James and to the brothers." Then he departed and went to another place. Oh man, man, man! Now. When that day had come, there was little disturbance among the soldiers over. There was little disturbance over what had become of Peter. So the soldiers weren't really that concerned. They were like, eh, he's gone. Not a whole lot going on there. And after Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Uh oh. So there. Listen, I can't kill Peter, so I'm a, I, We're going to have. I feel like a public execution today. It's a crazy dictator tyrant. I feel like killing somebody today. So I can't kill Peter. So listen, the guys that were holding him, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Then they went down from Judea to Caesarea and they spent time there. Now, what happens in verse 20? Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blatias, the king's cha- chamber chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration, a, a speech to them. He ordered out. He, he said, this is what is going to happen. And the people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. So the people were saying, oh, this, listen to this. Herod's got the voice of a God, not a man. He's got a voice of a God, not a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory that he deserved. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. And they had completed their service, bringing with them John, who was the other name, his other name was Mark. And so we've got this, this leader that says, listen, I'm going to kill the, the followers of Jesus and I can't, get to, I can't kill them. I'm going to kill the guys that were supposed to watch him. And then he gets up and gives this speech and then people are saying, oh, it's a, he's got a voice of a God, not of a man. And he, and he likes that. I'm, I'm a little bit awesome. I'm, I'm a little bit amazing. The bottom line is the God's in charge. Men can take, make their plans, but nothing is going to stop God from doing what he's going to do. He is the sovereign king over all things and he will, at the end of the day, get the glory. It is not going to be the president of, of the United States. It's not going to be the president of Russia. It's not going to be any of these guys that are world leaders who think that they're something. They are nothing when it comes to who God is. They will be... If they don't give God glory, God will eventually kill them and they will be eaten by worms. Mark my words. Any world leader who refuses to give God glory eventually will be struck down by God. How how can you know that, Caleb? Because the Bible says so. And how many times over and over and over and over again were godless leaders struck down by the sovereign king of the universe? Because they refused to give God glory. And what did they do? They stood in front of the Jewish people. He stood there and gave this speech. He gave this oration of of just great speeches. And people were going, oh. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Oh, Herod just sounds like a God. Listen, Herod was no God. There was only one God. His name is Jesus And think about every king throughout all of history. Every king has lived great lives, but they all died. There was only one who came back. There was only one king who has ever come back. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus Christ. And his name is to be glorified. His name is to be made much of, not any other man. That's, that's where I struggle sometimes because I've, I've seen over the last several years how people have placed so much trust and hope and faith in a human being as a leader for our country that we sometimes have forgotten who is the ultimate authority. Now I've seen some churches who have put posters up in their, their sanctuaries with certain leaders on them, certain human leaders, and praising them inside of these rooms in such a way that they're giving him what these people are doing, a godlike status. Oh, that's dangerous. Luckily, the man I'm talking about said, Listen, I'm not the greatest. It's Jesus. He did what was right, he gave glory to Jesus. Now, there are certain leaders who are not doing that, they refuse to because they're. They don't believe in Jesus. I promise you, there's coming a day when they're going to wish they had. There's coming a day when they're going to wish they had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, the bottom line here is that God is in charge. Nothing comes into your life. Nothing comes into my life. Nothing comes into our nation's life without first going through the filter of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And you say, well, why, Caleb? Why are things happening? Like, the world's on fire right now. Why? Because the world as a whole has rejected the God of the universe. And we are experiencing, right this moment, we are experiencing as a nation the judgment of God. So how do we get out of that, Caleb? Repent and believe the gospel. Pray that God sends revival and not wrath. That's my hope. Anybody else? That's my prayer, is that God sends revival and we see men and women saved and we turn from our wicked ways. What does the scripture say in Second in, in Chronicles 7.14? If my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray. What did, what did the church do? The church prayed earnestly. If they would humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will what? I will forgive their sins. But what has to happen? You've got to have a humble heart. You can't walk in strutting and be like, God's just lucky to have a guy as good looking as me. Right? God's just lucky to have somebody as awesome as I am. No, no, no. If my people who are called by name, my name will humble themselves and pray. And then you've got the junior theologians to be like, Well, Caleb, that verse is actually about Israel. I know. I know it is but it has application for you too. Because are you God's part of God's people? Are you His? Yeah, I'm in. I've been. Ephesians 1 says, I'm adopted. So I'm adopted into the family if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. If, you just hum- if we just do that and pray and ask God to save and redeem and reconcile, guess what? He will! Amen? 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sinfulness, He, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And there's the bottom line is that God, we can make our plans. Our nation can make the, our plans. But guess what? The scripture tells us that God puts these kings in place and takes them out. They're like human chess pieces to God. I'm going to put you in, take you out, put you in, take you out. We can make our plans, but there's nothing that's going to stop God from doing what God wants to do. And there's nothing can stop the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing the ACLU can try to do. Nothing that the Democratic or Republican Party, well, let's confab together. Let's have a committee about this. Thank God there's no committees in heaven. Amen? It's God's word and it's done. He's sovereignly king over all things, and he will get the glory at the end of this, and the government is not going to fight. The government is not the final authority, Jesus is. Amen. I should get I mean I should get a little excited. Thank God that the United States government is not the final authority. Come on. Thank God it's Jesus who's in charge, and I will the, the Bible doesn't say. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that the Constitution of the United States of America does it. It says that at the end of the day, when all this is said and done, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You say, Caleb, you don't sound very patriotic today. Let me tell you, I have allegiance. His name is Jesus. Listen, I'm thankful I live in America that I get to be able to have the freedom to say this, and I believe that America was founded on godly principles, but we've strayed from that. And I thank God I live in America. I'm thankful I live in America and not Ukraine. Or Russia. Or Iran. I'm thankful I live here. But at the end of the day, the stars and stripes aren't going to be hanging over the banners of heaven. It's going to be the name of Christ that will be over the name, over the banners of heaven. it will be Jesus that we have our trust and our hope and our eternal security in. This is a grand experiment called America. But I'm telling you, if we don't repent of our sinful ways, the judgment of God will start. And the scripture says often that the judgment of God starts at the house of God. And so what do we need to do? We need to get on our face like the church and we need to make earnest prayer that God would move. How many would love to see God move in our nation? How many would love to see God do something fantastic so, yeah, God, like, man, I'd love to see God do something amazing in America. Then we need to make earnest prayer that God would do something great in our nation. Amen? We need to ask God to do something that only God can do. God, save us. Oh, God, help us. God, forgive us. And guess what? He will. Amen? He will. Like, that's, that's the thing that blows my mind. Back to the end of chapter 11. What did it say? And when they heard these things, they all fell silent and they glorified God saying, then the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. God's granted you and I the ability to be able to repent. Scripture says that his goodness is designed to lead us to repentance. He's been, Has God been good? Psalms 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what would it be what would it be like if we as a as a church said God has been good and because he's been good I am just that he has granted me the ability to repent, glorify his name. And as a result of that I'm going to tell as many people as I can who Jesus is and I want to see more come in. I want to see the church grow. I want to see men and women saved. That's what happens here. The church sets aside its ideologies about who can be saved and who can't and they say okay God's, good. God's to be glorified and God can do whatever he wants. Now I'm going to go out and tell everybody. What if, I, what if we just set aside our ideologies for a second and say, okay, God's to be glorified. God's to be made much of. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to preach the gospel of those that are in my sphere of influence. I'm going to tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection and how Jesus transformed me from a wicked man into a redeemed man. And guess what? He can do that for you too. Come on. And guess what? Revival could break out in this community. Amen? I believe it. I believe it. And that's what I'm praying for, is that we have revival break out in this community. And I think it can happen. But we've just got to get past our silliness. And what's that old hymn? Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Let's sing this together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.
0: You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, PO Box 456, Cedarville, Kansas 67024. God bless you.